Hi, I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. And you're listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Hi, everyone. We are back, Cincinnati Zoo Tales, and we have a special guest that I'm really excited to talk to today. Yes, definitely. Thank you all for joining us for another episode. As Jenna said, today we're joined by Jen Meeks. Jen Meeks is our dive safety officer here at the Cincinnati Zoo. She has all kinds of crazy experiences with animals across the zoo. Welcome to the show. We're really excited to hear your stories, especially about one semi-famous hippo. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much for having me, Mark and Jenna. I'm uh, very excited to uh, share all of my uh, Fiona stories from my unique perspective as a fly on the wall in the, in the uh, hippo building. Um, yes, it all started on that uh, famous cold January morning in uh, 2017 when I got the Best text message I've ever received in my life, uh, just before 5 a.m. from uh, Keeper Dan Tarosi, and the message said, there's a hippo in your office. (laughs) (laughs) Were you awake? (laughs) I I think I had just woken up that morning, and I was looking at it. Now, while this was certainly the most unusual text I've ever received, um, it wasn't a total surprise, because before uh, I went to bed that night, I had also received a message from Dana, uh, telling me that uh, BB had uh, gone into, uh, uh, was showing signs of labor. So at least I had somewhat of a heads up. <laughs> um, but receiving that message, I wasn't, there's a hippo in your office? Like, I had been the, the dive safety officer at the Newport Aquarium for 11 years. I was brand new at the zoo. I'd only, I had I'd started here in uh, February of 2016, so I had, I was just, just only been here a year. And I thought, what do you mean there's a hippo in your office? Like, is this zoo humor? Am I being punked? Like, what? At 5 a.m. At 5 a.m. Like, you know, but sure enough, I came in to work at 7 o'clock that morning, and there on the floor of my office, nestled in Dan's lap on a pile of straw and zoo uniform shirts, was a very teeny, tiny hippo. So, we, wow. um... I kind of consider us office mates because I don't have my own office, but at Hippo, it's kind of a space that I'm in a lot. And then Jen's um, dive office is in the Hippo building. So that's how like her office and where she keeps all of her dive gear and everything is actually stored in the Hippo building. So that's why Fiona ended up in her office. They are connected and it's a big part of the Hippo building. So... And the dive office know. is always nice and toasty. It's nice and warm in there during the winter time. Yes, I guess that was an important thing to explain is why on earth was I going to work as the dive safety officer into the Hippo building? Well, the, the Hippo building, of course, was the final addition to the whole, um, you know, Africa uh, uh, exhibit space. And when it was added, they knew that it would require a lot of diving. So they decided to put the zoo's dive locker uh, inside the hippo building. So in my little office, as it were, uh, it contains all of the dive equipment, cylinders, BCDs, regulators, wetsuits. There's a shower, you know, full bathroom, everything to run dive operations uh, here at the zoo. So that, that was why she was on the floor of my <laughs> office. And like you said, Mark, it's the warmest room in the building. And the reason for that is uh, all of the life support systems, the filtration, the, the glycol boilers that heat the floors, all of that is in the building adjacent to the, the hippo barn and it sits on the opposite wall of my office. So right on the other side of my office wall, and the, of course the whole building is cement, so heat transfers very well through cement, um, there's these huge glycol boilers and they run pipes through the floor 
so that there's um, you know radiant heating from from the floor. So the floors are heated. In fact, before Fiona was born, we, we all joked about how warm the bathroom was, <laughs> and we took it uh, you know one of those infrared thermometers and we pointed it at the shower and the the floor and even the toilet was over a hundred degrees, which all felt amazing after a very <laughs> chilly dive. You know, you get back from polar bear and you are really happy that that bathroom is that warm, um, which was great for us and of course wound up being perfect for turning it into baby hippo ICU. Yeah, yeah, it was basically the best temperature controlled room we could have and Fiona needed that heat. She couldn't regulate her body temperature yet, so we were keeping it at a sweltering 98 degrees in there, so that was fun and scrubbed and all <laughs> sorts of quarantine gear. Um, but yeah, the hippos are spoiled. They're not spoiled. They get what they deserve, which is heated floors, which we all probably dream of having in our bathrooms and oh. kitchens at home. <laughs> it is a but our animals have them here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. So if you ever see pictures of the hippos lying on the floor in their in their holding areas, just know that they are enjoying that immensely. They're choosing yes. it. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Those Especially floors. Especially during wintertime. You'll yes. come in almost every morning and BB's just on the floor, yep. loafed out. <laughs> Have a pool, but they choose the floor. Oh, yes. <laughs> like a yes. heated blanket. Also, when you're a hippo, anywhere you lie down is comfortable, so. There you go. <laughs> um, so what were you thinking, like, when you walked in? Were you excited or surprised or were you nervous could you read the room like do you remember what it felt like I remember mostly just looking at her and thinking oh my gosh she needs to go back in the oven <laughs> she is way too underdeveloped I mean I didn't need a vet I didn't need a biologist to tell me but looking at her her toes were were leathery and soft uh, her skin was thin and almost translucent I mean she looked frighteningly underdeveloped and nobody really thought that she would survive. I mean, she was, she was so premature. I mean, she didn't look like, she didn't really look like a hippo yet. Um, she couldn't stand. Uh, she couldn't nurse. She had basically no immune system whatsoever. She was so delicate. And even though the zoo, what I found so amazing was that even though the zoo hadn't had a hippo in over 20 years and had never raised a baby hippo, you would never have known by watching the way the care team responded so immediately. You know, I, I came in and, you know, there's Dan with Fiona on the floor, this little teeny tiny hippo, no bigger than a beagle. Um, a uh, Oxygen had already been customized for her. They were running the line to the end of a milk jug <laughs> that had been cut in half and could fit over her face to deliver oxygen. Um, you know, Dan was providing warmth and keeping uh, an eye on her. And then all of a sudden, you know, everyone came in. You know, the, the curators came in, the vet staff, the nursery staff. And that was when they made the decision that the best place to keep Fiona, which would be within hearing and smelling distance of her parents, but also in a warm area that could be quarantined, was the diver bathroom. <laughs> it really made the perfect baby hippo ICU. And they got right to work pulling everything out of that bathroom that wasn't plumbed into that wall. So benches, <laughs> lockers, everything went out of that room. And in came the padding and the, the stuffed animals and the scrubs and the towels and the oxygen, everything. I mean, it was like they had done it a hundred times. It was, it was just amazing to me uh, how it was all set up. It's funny, we got ahead of ourselves. We actually didn't talk about your job specifically, oh. <laughs> um, because obviously it's fun to talk about baby Fiona, yes. but also, <laughs> but we do want to, what 
can you explain to everyone what your job is, what you were hired to do? And now thinking back as you're saying this, I'm like, you must not have, what were you doing for the bathroom and showers during the dives? But it was winter, were we not doing, but we have indoor areas. Anyways, tell us what you take care of and how you, who you manage and how that works around here. Oh, yes. Because you needed that bathroom. You, you use it all the time, every day now. <laughs> oh, yes. So I'm like, wait, what were you guys doing? I was kind of preoccupied with the hippo. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Of course, anywhere you go, uh, you know, after work in this town, you got your zoo uniform on. People see it and they say, oh, my goodness, you work for the zoo. What do you do there? And, you know, very easy for you guys. You're, you're keepers. Everybody understands what that is. But when I say I'm the dive safety officer, everybody says the same thing. What? <laughs> no one knows what a dive safety officer is. Um, my job is to oversee scuba diving operations that keep all of our large animal pools clean. So we are, we are on the front lines of Mark's war against water waste. <laughs> so by having us come in, we are the green solution to keeping the pools clean. Uh, we go in on a very regular basis to our large animal pools to... Um, you know, clean things off the uh, skimmers and the intakes, keep the water flowing through our filtration systems, scrubbing the algae off the rockwork and the glass and, you know, whatever else we need to, to do in there. And I make sure that all of that happens and, and happens safely. Um, I train the divers. I certify dive staff, as you know, Jen. Yes, thanks, Jen. <laughs> um, uh, I coordinate all of our volunteers. I purchase and service dive equipment, you know, the, the, the whole thing. And, uh, when I first got here in February of 2016, uh, we were only diving one pool, and that was the manatee pool. Um, but now we dive uh, six pools. We dive uh, the uh, well, former polar bear pool, now the pelican exhibit. Um, we, we, we dive a lot for the birds. I clean yeah. a lot. I clean up after <laughs> birds a lot. Uh, we've got our little blue penguin exhibit, our African penguin exhibit. Um, uh, so we do a, a lot of diving here. Uh, the hippo pool is dove you know, two to three times a week. Uh, to keep it clean, so that that is my my primary function here. Of course, is to is uh, to it, I'm the diver. Um, I I manage all the dives and make sure, like I said, that everything keeps moving smoothly and and safely. But that is a lot of work. Like it can't be understated how big of a task it is to clean all of these pools, keep them nice and clear for visitors, keep the glass looking pretty and everything. How big of a team do you have to get all this stuff done? Uh, we have uh, close to a dozen staff divers. And then we have uh, a crew of volunteer divers. Now, I will tell you that our, our crew isn't as large as it used to be when Manatee was part of it, because Manatee is a nice, easy, relatively clean dive. Um, but you know what? With uh, the dives we have going on, like, for example, when we were diving uh, Polar Bear, that gear weighed 100 pounds. Wow. Yeah. And you have to walk down Bear Line Hill, back up Bear Line Hill. A lot of these exhibits are difficult to get in and out of. Zoo diving is, it's tough. It's, it is, uh, it's not easy diving, but it's very rewarding. Um, and, uh, of course you get to be in the proximity of these animals. You know, it's funny for all the time I worked at the Newport Aquarium as their dive safety officer, I did that for 11 years. People always ask me the same thing. Oh my gosh, aren't you afraid the sharks are going to eat you? And then I come here and I'm working with close to hippos and polar bears who actually do kill people, you know, and have been known to, uh, whereas sharks don't. I'm like, no, um, the sharks were perfectly safe. We were able to leave them on exhibit while we dove. And, of course, the hippos and the bears, you know, of Not course, so need much. to be locked off exhibit. So, um, so, so, so it was a big, uh, big difference. But I have a, a smaller group of uh, really hardcore volunteers um, who are just amazing, and they love diving, and they don't care where they dive, how cold it is. Um, you know, particularly the polar bear divers who would come in here. I mean, these guys are, 
mean, these guys are in their 60s and 70s, some of them, and they're wearing this heavy gear, and they don't care that it's cold outside. And, and the water is how cold? Oh, the water is in the 40s in the winter. Wow. Um, so you were talking about uh, where on earth were we, uh, you know, how, how on earth did we shower and yeah, everything? I don't remember that. <laughs> so um, what we had to do when we were finished, uh, you know, luckily, you know, it was you know, winter, so we weren't diving as much, but we still had to dive, you know, uh, uh, on occasion or, you know, several times a week. And when we would come back from Polar Bear, all of the equipment was disinfected outside. So <laughs> all of the cleaning, all the disinfection, all of that equipment was disinfected outside before it could even come back in the building. And then the poor divers oh, no. <laughs> would have to take off their dry suits outside in the freezing cold, outside the hippo Ooh. building, take them off, and then walk over here to the Africa building and use this oh little gosh. shower in the men's room. Oh, no. I had no idea. <laughs> yes. I feel like a jerk. <laughs> I, I mean, not that I could have done anything about it, but I just didn't ever appreciate what everyone was doing to work around it. Well, Which means you're walking probably 100 yards, half of it outside least, yeah. in the middle of the winter. Yes, and one time I remember uh, volunteer Mike Gundrum, his dry suit leaked during the polar bear dive. <gasps> oh, and. No. When he took it off, I mean, he could pour the water out of it. So he was soaking wet. His clothing underneath, it's a dry suit, so you wear clothing underneath it. His clothing was soaking wet. He's starting to stick to the ground, freezing to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, had to make that long walk over to over to Africa. So, yeah, our, our zoo dive volunteers are... They're dedicated, they're hardcore, and, and I love them. Yes, we are so thankful. I've had the chance to get to know a lot of them, and they are amazing. And, yeah, they come in on their free time to help us keep the zoo looking sparkly clean, and so that you can get those amazing photos of the hippos and penguins and everything. But, yeah, I – oh, my gosh. Jen did uh, certify me. So I'm scuba certified thanks to Jen, and people have asked, like, is it gross getting in the hippo pools? Like, there's poop in there, and, like – no, it's just like, hey, it's not a big deal. But I would, it would be kind of gross to get in those penguin pools. I think. Like, yeah, you, you fish you, salmonella soup. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, penguin poop. I don't know. Respect, respect for what you guys do. <laughs> it's a dirty job, but hey, I've got a lot of great stories. Yeah, so we should get back to that. Thank you so much for everything you do. But yeah, Jen has a really unique job that I think is super cool, and people probably didn't know about. And it was interesting having to uh, continue to do that job around what was essentially Hurricane Fiona in, in my office, right? So in my office or dive lock or whatever you want to call it um, is usually where I service gear in addition to, you know, uh, running running dive operations out of there. Well, most of the time that that whole office, as you remember, was filled with stacks of towels and scrubs and toys and it was just full of everything everywhere. So sometimes I would just pick up the equipment and just go up to uh, Scuba Unlimited and, and work on dive gear up there. Okay. And I remember that you guys would apologize to me for taking over my office space, which I thought was hilarious. It was a very nice gesture to apologize, <laughs> but seriously, apologize? Oh, yes. Oh, it's terrible having my workspace taken over by this amazing baby hippo. <laughs> yeah, this is just awful. Um, and, of course, everybody watched her grow up and saw everything on social media. Um, but the one thing that never uh, came across, of course, on social media was the um, very unique smell <laughs> of a baby hippo. Uh, it was sort of like wet horse manure and sour milk. And it was a very strong smell, and it made everything 
in that office smell that way. <laughs> now, we're all used to this because, you know, we work here. Um, however, when I would take the equipment up to Scuba Unlimited to work on it up there, uh, Craig, of course, up there is, is not accustomed to a zoo. Um, and he went to put on one of those, our full face masks one time, and he put it on and he just ripped it off his face and said, oh my gosh, why does it smell like a barn? <laughs> and He's not wrong. He's not <laughs> no, wrong. he's not. <laughs> and even like the wetsuits, like I, I took a wetsuit, uh, down to, uh, uh, Bonaire on a dive trip, uh, which is, uh, uh just off the coast of, uh, um, uh, Colombia in, in South America, um, the, the, Dutch ABC Islands, Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao, and I, I took it down there with me. It's the first time I've ever opened my luggage up on the way to a dive trip, and it smelled already. <laughs> my dive gear still smelled, and I remember standing there one morning, pulling on my wetsuit, and I made the comment of like, oh my gosh, my dive suit smells like a hippo. And all these other divers from all over the world, you know, just look at me like, what? And I said, oh, I, I, I work at a zoo. And they, and they all meerkatted in my direction and went, Fiona? <laughs> so that was when I realized she had international Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I don't think I've point. heard you say that story. So and it's cool. interesting because it just shows, it goes to show, like, how worldwide known she is. But also, can you imagine what they did when they went home? And, like, I just happened to be on this trip in Bonaire, nowhere near the Cincinnati Zoo, and I met someone who actually works <laughs> with the hippo, and her dive suit smelled like it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I was, uh, I was definitely the the Fiona diver that whole week at the, at the resort. Everybody, everybody knew who she was, and so that, that was very interesting. You um, might have been vomiting every time you put on your wetsuit, but everyone <laughs> else went home to tell their spouses, "I got to smell what baby That's Fiona right. who smells like." Who wants to smell like? me? Who wants to smell me? <laughs> Um, in fact, it, 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 about the whole social media thing, I remember that that surprised me when seeing how transparent the zoo was about Fiona. You know, it, it's it wasn't really typical. It wasn't typical of the industry. Usually, when as you know an animal is born, um, zoos will kind of wait until that baby is say out of the woods. You know, strong, healthy, eating well, blah blah blah, before they make the announcement. Well, in this case, everyone already knew that Bibi was pregnant because <laughs> crew did the first ultrasound ever. Amazing. You trained her. Amazing. Um, so they just said, you know what? We're just, we're going to tell everybody. For better or for worse, we're just going to let everybody know what's going on. And I can tell you folks that all of those posts that you saw on social media, they were 100% accurate because I would come in in the morning and as I'm sitting at my desk checking emails, I can hear the vet staff and, and, and everybody behind me in the bathroom discussing, you know, what was going on that day, what the plans were, and then I would read about it nearly verbatim later that day on social media. So 100% uh, transparency, and that, that I have a lot of respect for that. Uh, there, I think you build a lot of integrity that way. No, um, I think you're right, though. I think it, it really helps build trust between... Obviously, the Fiona fanatics that are out there that were following her every single day, following along every post, and the staff here that was working one-on-one -on -one with her with Jenna and the vets and the other rest of the Africa team here, it builds a two-way trust between like her fans and our zoo members who are so dedicated and so loyal to our zoo and then our zoo staff. Yeah, it was definitely scary for us for them to come in and want to start sharing it immediately. But like you said, everyone already knew uh, that Bibi was pregnant and... It ended up being like the best thing we ever could have done for animals and zoos and uh, showing everyone that may have questioned what zoos do, but 
you know, now know zoos will go to every single length to, you know, mm-hmm. to do what they can to mm-hmm. save an animal or, or care for them. And obviously it helped people kind of come along and fight that underdog fight with mm-hmm. her. And like, it helped us too. So, and, yeah. And a lot of people needed this, you know, it was funny. I remember at the end of that first week, you know, when, when everyone, yeah, cause I can, I can remember Wendy sitting at the computer and type, typing up the little Facebook, you know, updates and things like that. Um, but by the end of the week, they said, okay, everybody, um, uh, well, we're not going to do this every day anymore. You know, we'll, we'll, we're just going to back off a little bit. And the internet just revolted and said, don't you dare. We need our Fiona updates every day. And it wasn't just because she was an amazing story in and of herself, but it was also a product of the time because this was January following a very polarized, um, election a lot of people were fighting it's all this country was doing was fighting against each other about this ugly election but suddenly everybody could stop what they were doing and get behind the story of this little Mm -hmm. hippo yes i i almost forgot about that i've said that in talks before and forgot but it it like truly was the one thing that people couldn't hate on. Like, Mm -hmm. no one can be mad about, like, (laughs) rooting for this little hippo to survive. Yeah, because social media had become so ugly with all of the mudslinging and name-calling and fighting and everything else, and then all of a sudden, everything was baby hippo. Yes. (laughs) And it was really a wonderful thing, not only for the zoo, but for, really, for the whole world, for everyone on, on social media. Really, it was what everybody needed. Everybody needed Fiona, and that was definitely a part of what, you know, I think made her popularity just just explode like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so you were there for all the different changes, and we had the big blue pool out in the open area, and, you know, we eventually, Fiona, when she was stronger, she got to run around and... I mean, uh, the best time. But she loved to sleep under your desk. Yes. And you still have a stain from her blood sweat to this day that we point out on tours. Yes, like, yes. People actually come in for the, the, the behind-the-scenes hippo VIP tour to look at my bathroom and the brown stain under my desk. It's completely bizarre, but this is true. And, you know, when when in the early days when all this was going on, I just tried to keep quiet and keep out of the way. Because, again, I I was a scuba instructor with an English lit degree. What did I have to (laughs) offer to this whole situation just to be as least inconvenient as possible? But I remember this when she was just two days old, she had her first bath. I remember that day. She had her first bath in that office. We've got pictures of it. And if you take the tour, those pictures are up in the bathroom. (laughs) But, yeah, she had her first bath, and that's when it occurred to me that, you know what? That's right. Hippos are divers. And one day soon, it's going to be my turn to step up and offer my little bit of expertise to help out with Team Fiona. And that's where it went with the the progression of Mm -hmm. her pools. And so I think she was maybe about six weeks old when she moved out of the bathroom and she was able to be in one of the stalls that they had uh, protected with the stainless steel mesh. She had her own pool. It was heated. So she could be near her parents, but still, so her immune system was better, um, but she still needed lots of uh, warmth um, because the drafty hippo stalls were fine for adult hippos um, with the heated floors and everything, but still too cold for her, obviously. So she had her own little place there. Yeah, we had different progressions where, yeah, she would spend time in the big blue pool, but then go back to the bathroom, and then we made her her own stall. And then eventually we were dumping and filling the indoor pools that... 
BB and Henry were using, but we would start off by filling them with a hose with hot water until it was a foot high. And like, you know, you just wait hours for this pool to fill so then Fiona can go in and you can splash around with her and her get used to it. And then every week or day, depending on how she was doing, we would progress to like another foot or whatever. And then eventually when we got to the max in there is about six feet deep, uh, Jen got to be involved and helped us with all of that. And I know you have a funny story um, when when you first went in there with the dive gear, right? Oh my goodness, yes. So, um, you know, watching her progress through these pools, I think one one thing I remember is when you when you first started putting her in the adult indoor pools. So obviously the adults were locked outside, and you would fill the indoor pools with just I think you started with like a foot of mm-hmm. water, and it was. March, so it was relatively cool back there. Yeah, the water, you, you know, it, you guys were down there in like swim trunks and t-shirts, and I remember watching you. You were so cold. Every, all the keepers, <laughs> and everyone down there, you were freezing. And I thought, no, 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 children, this is not how we do this. And I went to Scuba Unlimited. I said, Craig, give me every used wetsuit you have. I need all of them. And I brought them all in here. And I taught all of you guys how to put on wetsuits. And you were so happy. You guys splashed in that water. You weren't cold anymore. You didn't have to worry about scraping your knees on your bare skin on the cement. And I thought, oh. I did a thing. <laughs> I helped. I helped with Team Fiona. I brought wetsuits. And then, uh, of course, the pools got deeper. And by this point, I was now helping out uh, and, and a part of the team as well. So that was really exciting for me. Oh, yeah. Because Jen was a part of Team Fiona and, and even more of a way that we haven't mentioned. As, like, one of our babysitters, we like to call you guys because we needed the extra help while we were taking care of the other animals. And it was so helpful to have you, someone. We had to be kind of picky and also people have other jobs to do but one of the important things is that you weren't working with other animals nope and we needed to keep Mm. her safe and make sure we weren't spreading any germs from any other animal department where it might not make sense for a dive safety officer or a pr person to help raise this hippo because they don't necessarily have a ton of animal experience background it actually worked out really well it did and so i mean not only did i i mean the obvious reason yeah i was involved because my office was in there but yes like you said i was unique in that I had no other, I had contact with no other animals. Even if I did go to another exhibit, obviously I changed and my clothing wasn't in the exhibit. My shoes weren't, I had just had a shower. So now this, you know, when I worked at the aquarium, I mean, I had animal contact every day. You know, I had uh, cow nose rays, you know, um, touching their, touching my hands with their little soft mouth flaps. I I could uh, scratch Denver, the sea turtle's shell. I could touch the moray eel that felt like a a wet silk pillow. You know, I was just constantly had this constant animal contact. Well, when I came here, that, that all disappeared. And I had been here for about a year and was starting to feel that, that really starting to feel that lack of, uh, of animal contact. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I thought it was poetic that, the one thing that I had been, you know, sort of sad about was the one thing that got me the most amazing animal contact experience in my entire career. Um, so yeah, I remember the first day I got added to the hippo babysitting schedule. <laughs> yes, folks, there was a hippo babysitting schedule, hippo oh, sitting. And like you said, Jenna, her, it was when her, you were starting to use that, that the bigger blue pool out in the, um, the, just like the main keeper area. Yeah, just the main I mean, keeper where we have our area. And everything. So she would go from her nursery in the bathroom uh, out to her 
pool with with the little ramp. Yes, the, the ramp. Little ramp. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the the water was warm, and uh, but she could only play in that pool for a little while before she would get really tired. Then she would have to go back to her room, have the oxygen put on her again with her little custom made cannulas, and 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 that that was my first experience. I was with her in the pool, and then. It was time for her to go back and have nap time, and I changed into my scrubs, and I was, and I was, I went in there, and I'm trying to think in my head, like, okay, uh, uh, what should I do? What are, what are the things that I need to do in, 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 in this very important, uh, this is hippo quarantine, Fiona, it's just, uh, what do I do? Well, I didn't have time to think about it, because as soon as I sat down on the floor, Fiona, like a sleepy toddler, <laughs> knew exactly what laps were for, and she just waddled over to me and plop down in my lap oh to my sleep. Oh my god. Hope you're comfy. Oh, yes, exactly. Hope you're in a good spot. She, unlike other baby mammals, was not soft and squishy and fuzzy and had loose skin. No. She was solid. First of all, she was already 70 pounds at this point, still tiny, so she was solid. So it was really more like being, having a, a, a warm bag of cement mix sit in your lap. <laughs> But she would, and there's there's this amazing little animal in my lap, and and her and her nostrils open and close like eyelids. And even though she was asleep, she'd still keep you from putting the cannula in because she didn't <laughs> like it. And uh, of course, you know, every what 45 minutes, we had to put lotion all over her. Oh yes, folks, that was such a that was the hardest part ever. Was uh, have we had to put lotion on her skin. Uh, to, to keep it moist because, of course, hippos are supposed to be in the water all the time and, and, and she couldn't be. So, you know, you'd sit in that room. The floor was heated. The bedding was soft. I think by that time it wasn't 98 degrees either. No, it was, it was a little better. It was just right. And, of course, you'd sit in there for a while and all the light switches here, they're all meant oh, to save yes. power. So at about, you know, 15, 20 minutes, the lights would go off and she's sleepy and you're sleepy and maybe once or twice I fell asleep together with sleeping with Fiona in the office there but um it's perfect nap time it's it was perfect. it was perfect perfect nap time so that was my first uh my first time uh babysitting or hippo sitting was, was just amazing and of course you know continuing to do that and continuing to work with her in the water and like you said like you said the the indoor adult pools gradually became deeper and cooler. So the, the object was to slowly acclimate Fiona from her warm baby pools to the outdoor adult pool, which is which at the time would have been in the low 70s, based on when they knew they would be letting her outside, and it's 10 feet deep. And hippos, of course, don't swim. They sink and they jump to the surface to get air. So she had to learn how to do that. And uh, Christina mentioned that once she went into the outdoor pools, because it would be such a significant uh, depth change from six feet in the indoor pool to 10 feet in the outdoor pool, uh, she wanted Fiona to have safety divers. And I said, okay, that sounds great, but she's never seen dive equipment before and she should see what scuba divers look like. We need to acclimate her to scuba divers so she's not afraid of the very people that are trying to help mm -hmm. her. And this is where some of my you know, previous experience had come into into play in kind of a funny way. I had acclimated many species of animals to scuba divers at the aquarium. You know, we get in, you know, wild caught elasmobranchs, the, the, the shark rays, um, juvenile sharks, uh, the cow nose rays. 
and it was important to acclimate them to the presence of scuba divers, weird looking thing underwater that makes bubbles, um, so that when those animals were tr then transferred over to the aquarium and we had to get in and maintain the tanks, that the animals wouldn't be frightened. Mm -hmm. um, and, and same thing with, with Fiona. I said, just, I said, give me a week, let me get in the indoor pools, let her see dive gear, get used to it, and, and, uh, and Christina agreed. She said, okay, you've got one week to acclimate Fiona to dive gears. No problem, I've done this. <laughs> so we had it all set up one day. Uh, Dan was in the pool uh, with, with Fiona, or no, uh, that's right. They let me go in the pool first. Now, based on all my experience with, uh, you know, sharks and rays and things like that, I had my body completely covered. I had my I had full wetsuit on, I had gloves on, and I had a mask which uh, hides my eyes. Because um, uh, for, uh, for a lot of animals, our forward-facing eyes are, are scary. Uh, and it's better if you, if you hide them. Um, so I was all ready. And I was sitting in the bottom of the adult hippo pools, uh, just waiting for her to for her to come in. And you can actually watch this video. You can find it on YouTube still uh, of the very first moment that Fiona saw a diver underwater. And <laughs> so the pools are full at this point, correct? They were they were maybe four to five feet okay. deep at this point. Um, well, they were deeper than she was tall, which was we yeah, needed to make sure. Yeah, yeah, at least five feet. Yeah, at least five feet. Guess. Yes, yeah. yes. And so there I was sitting on the bottom, being non-reactive. And here she comes trucking into the pool for playtime like she normally does. And she comes flying down that ramp underwater, took one look at me, and hit the brakes. <laughs> I mean, you can see it in the video. She comes to a screeching halt, turned around, just stranger danger. She didn't know what I was. And she turned around, ran up that ramp, and leapt into Dan's arms. Oh he was, he was sitting chest deep in the water, and she jumped into his arms like, Daddy, save me. <laughs> I thought, uh, okay, that didn't go well. So we, we tried again, and she very cautiously came back up to look at me, you know, underwater. I, I didn't leave the water. I was still underwater. She came up to me, and she touched my glove, and just, uh-uh, no. And she moved away from me. So I come up out of the water, and Dan said, try taking your mask off. And I went, oh. And that's when it occurred to me. Fiona isn't a shark. She's not a stingray. She's She's a... She's a toddler. And, and I, I remember being at the aquarium and when volunteers, they'd have their kids come in there. And if the kids were a certain age, you know, two to three, they couldn't recognize their parents in all the dive gear and they would be upset. And all their parents had to do was take the mask and regulator off. And the, and the light, I, I'd watch it every time the light bulb would come on. <laughs> oh, that's mom. That's dad. So that's when it occurred to me. Okay. That, that makes sense. So I moved into the shallow part of the pool and I sat with my head above the water and I took the regulator out of my mouth. I took the mask off my face and I said, it's me, Fiona. And she came right up to me. She's looking at my face because she'd been hearing me and seeing me since day one. Yeah. She knew who I was and uh, she just didn't understand who I was with all the dive gear on. And you can see the light bulb moment in Fiona in the video um, <laughs> where she realized it was me and that was it. She was completely comfortable with it. Um, and we wound up uh, playing uh, the, the, the chase game underwater. So um, I would swim around underwater with her and I would push off the gates and push off the sides and just try to swim as fast as I could from one side to the other while she would run after me <laughs> along the bottom. <laughs> Hippos run along the bottom. It's amazing. They're amazing animals. And uh, I would even, I would watch her jump 
up to the surface to get a breath of air and she would make it and I would cheer underwater and that was the Aww. other thing she could hear you underwater now she had already she knew what no meant so because if she would start to chew on us which was not allowed because that's it's not good when she gets bigger um you could tell her no and she knew what that meant so underwater through my regulator if she would start chewing on me I could say no and she heard me and it was amazing I mean that doesn't work with other animals you can yell at a sea turtle all you want it doesn't care but you know I was cheering for Fiona and I was encouraging her and, and you know squealing and all this sort of fun stuff and yes I would we, we would do that we'd play the chase game I would take off and she would she would run me down underwater or I'd swim up into the shallow end and she'd come and get me up there and it, it, it wound up working out very well um, when we took her outside in the uh, in the big pool yeah, we had a teacher where all of the shallow areas were so that she could get in and out of the pool safely or take a rest if she needed to. Yes, I remember that day was uh, uh, myself, of course, and a whole team of uh, keepers in wetsuits at the surface. And then it was myself, um, uh, Emily Margolin, and uh, Troy, uh, our, our plumber at the time. Now, Troy was uh, a very good diver, and he was also well, about six and a half feet tall. <laughs> so he was not only an excellent diver, but he was a big, strong man. I thought, well, this is, this is the team. And Emily and I had been diving for years, not only here, but at the aquarium together. So I knew what a good diver she was. So this was the, this was the A team of divers that, you know, I selected to, to, to do this, to this, this task. And Christina's instructions to us were to sit along the bottom, uh, kind of spaced out along the, the, along the bottom of the pool, kind of up against the windows, and just be non-reactive. And... <laughs> Only intervene if Fiona can't make it to the surface. She Twice. says she gets tw she gets two yes. tries to jump to the surface for breath, and if she can't make it on jump number two, get in there and and help her. Um, and like you said, these are ten feet deep pools. Yes, ten yes, feet. yes, they are. So she she was really good at jumping from the bottom of a six foot pool and getting a breath of air. Um, but again, now she had to make it uh, in ten feet. So we all got in the water, and she was doing just fine. And then I remember her getting into that deepest part of the pool and jumping up. And then she started scrambling at the, at the edge. So we swam over and gave her just a little bit of a lift on one foot. And she landed in her little balcony there, the fish hide or the balcony or whatever you want to call it. That's in the hippo pool. And, uh, and everybody relaxed. She was able to rest and get a breath. And uh, she thought, oh okay, all I have to do is stand on a thing in the deep end and I'll be fine. Cool. So we tried it again and we, we let her uh, walk through and, you know, again, we positioned ourselves up against the window. Well, she came into the deep end and she looked around for something tall to stand on and then she saw Troy. <laughs> so she went over to Troy and she stood on Troy's head so that she could put her mouth out of the water to breathe. She's probably a couple hundred pounds at this point, right? Like 400. Yeah. 400. <laughs> well, fortunately, the water offset a lot of that. So, but yes, she stood on Troy's head in order to get a breath. Well, Troy can't hang out in the hippo exhibit all day. You know, he's got other things to do. So, we had to change our strategy, and that was where the chase game came in. Like you said, we we were teaching her that the shallow ends are where you rest and play. But if you're going through the deep end, you need to keep moving. So we would all go to what the, the divers and everybody at the surface, all of you guys in your wetsuits, would all go to one shallow end. And as soon as Fiona started moving towards the deep end, the divers would just swim as fast as we could 
to the other end, and she would run along the bottom after us. Oh my goodness. Until <laughs> uh, we get to the shallow end, and then we come up, and of course all of the attention is just reinforcing that, and we did this again and again and again. And to give you an idea of how fast she was underwater, again, I would swim as fast as I could from one end of the pool to the other. And she would overtake us in, in our fins. We were wearing fins. Yeah. And she could run as fast as we could swim. It was amazing. So I believe we did that three or four times, I think. And then she was good to go. Yeah, she did really great. And now I'm really trying to think how much she might have weighed then. I'm like <laughs> going back. She was at least 250. Yes. Or like at least 250. So yeah, just standing on someone's head. Thankfully there was some water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Hippos can run 18 miles per hour on land. And then underwater, I don't know if it's ever been tested. But if you've had the chance to see them when I sit, I call it the zoomies, or when they get really mm -hmm. like active and playful on like cool, like cloudy days, they can just zip through yes. the water. And yeah, it's like we're all trying to outswim her and get to the other end before, and there's no way you're doing no, it. You would never think that an animal that is this large, they kind of look clumsy, they look awkward, but no, they are underwater, they are graceful, and they can book it. Yeah, oh they my can gosh, really they move. are so fast. I remember one of the last dives I did, um, it was uh, me and Emily and uh, uh, April Smith at the time, uh, one of our manatee keepers. And I remember I took off first, and I, by this time, we had stirred up the bottom so much you could only see about six feet because <laughs> we were playing so much and all the sand and everything had been kicked up. Uh, but we're certainly used to that. And I got down to the other end first and I turned around and I knelt down to watch everybody coming at me. And here comes April. She's flying at me and she sits down and turns around and looks. And here comes Emily, right? And Emily is swimming at us. And all of a sudden, Emily, now she's swimming at me head on. And all of a sudden, Emily does a flip. She tucks her head down and does a somersault underwater. And as she turns over and her legs kind of split into this V, through the V of Emily's legs comes Fiona. Oh and Emily said that what she did was she knew Fiona was about to overtake her and didn't want to kick her with the fins. She goes, so I didn't know what to do, so I did a flip. <laughs> <laughs> and April and I got up out of the water and April said... I can stop diving today. I have now seen the greatest thing I have ever seen underwater. Nothing will ever top watching Fiona basically jump through Emily's legs in a somersault. Oh my gosh. So many amazing stories from working in the water with that little hippo. Yeah. So many crazy things we can say. Thanks to it's her such a unique done. experience that, I mean, that you guys were able to share with, with Fiona that almost no one else will ever get to share of again you know obviously this is not something that's going to take place with adult hippos they're so territorial they could crush you in a second they're three four thousand pounds but you guys got to share the space scuba diving with a hippo a, a baby world famous hippo at that like it is such an amazing experience and yes i'm fairly certain i'm the first person to ever knowingly dive with a scuba dive with a hippo um, on purpose um i did find a video on YouTube of a guy diving in the rivers in Africa. I don't know why you would dive in the rivers wow, in Africa, but yeah. he did. And he, and he came across a juvenile oh my gosh. underwater. Of course, it wasn't territorial. It was just hanging out by itself. But um, but yeah, no, I think I'm the first person to ever do it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but And that's just it. People don't realize, I mean, they just, they're such amazing animals. They are incredibly fast, like you said. Um, and the other thing is people don't realize how quiet they can be. I can remember 
sitting in my office, and this, this would have been the time when Fiona had her little howdy stall, and when it was time to clean the pools, the baby pools that went, or were, bleh, were in her howdy stall, those pools didn't have filtration. They were just small little baby pools, so it was just dump and fill. Well, you don't separate a hippo from their water. They don't like it. So in order to keep Fiona happy and from getting cranky while her pool was being cleaned, you guys allowed her to walk around the kitchen and the dive office, which, believe me, had been baby hippo-proofed at this point. <laughs> all, everything, all the bottles of cleaning solution, there was nothing on the bottom shelves. The, everything had been put up so she could just wander around. And I would be sitting in my office just working on emails, and next thing I know, I would turn around, and there she'd be on the floor <laughs> in my office. You would think you'd hear her feet shuffle. Uh-uh. No. 300 pounds of baby hippo could just stroll into my office completely si just silent um, and just be sitting there on the floor. And the only problem with that was is that Fiona would love to come in there for, well, for showers, of course, because as far as she was concerned, that was her room. Was her. <laughs> she, she, One day I just yeah. turned on the shower. I'm like, she's allowed to get wet. Let's see what she does. She just walked right in there. And then eventually by the end of it, she was plugging the shower <laughs> drain <laughs> because she was so big and so yeah. long when she would plop down it, her whole body would weight would be on the drain and the shower would overflow. Oh, and, that was oh my gosh. so yeah. great. And her blood sweat just looked like suds yes. everywhere. And. <laughs> Oh, yeah, she loved the shower videos. Or the, Well, we've all seen the videos of her in the shower. Just, like, too cute. Yes, that is what she did. It wasn't staged. She would just wander into the shower, and we turned the water on, and she loved it. Um, or she would come out into, um, you know, my the, the dive locker area, and she'd either sit under my desk and rest her head on the diver emergency oxygen case and sleep. You can see that picture in the in the bathroom, too. The other thing she did, remember that mat she had, it was like a gir an old gurney mattress, and that was her bedding in her nursery, or in the ICU room. Well, when it wasn't being used anymore, somebody just drug it out of there and just sort of shoved it in the corner of my office. <laughs> well, she would actually go over there and pull it out. What? And she would drag it out and onto the floor and lay on it. I don't remember that. No and she would drag it, like, this is mine. And she'd want it pulled out again, and sometimes I'd pull it out, and I have one picture of you where I dragged it out and laid it in, in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. And then you laid down on it with her. Yeah, I think we were reading or something. Yes! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. Yeah, she was, they were just, just amazing. Um, and, I didn't realize yeah. she would go and find it herself. She would actually, yeah, she would come in and find it, or she would just fall asleep on the floor. And I remember coming in one day, and, uh, and Alex was... Um, Sitting in, in my office, I had come back from a dive somewhere, and I just opened the door to my office, and there's Fiona, and there's Alex. I'm just sort of looking, I'm like, what's up? And she goes, well, she decided to take a nap, and it's not she like I can move leave. her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she used to be stubborn. She just, like, wouldn't leave. You're like, we could go nap over here now. Nope. Nope. She, she learned the advantage of a low center of gravity by the time she hit 100 pounds. Yes. She knew that all she had to do was sit down, and there was nothing anybody could do about it. <laughs> so if Fiona fell asleep in my office, there was no getting her out. And Alex had to sit there and wait for her to wake up from her nap. So... That, the hippos nap a long time. Yes, They're sitting yes. there waiting for a while. <laughs> so sadly, that was the end of the... We had to start closing the office door, and she wasn't allowed in the dive Sad office anymore day. because she would fall asleep on the floor and we couldn't get her out of the room. Um, but of course, that got made. I, I made up for that when I got to start uh, swimming with yeah, her, which was yeah. amazing. 
Oh my gosh, so bittersweet when she didn't need us to be with her and she couldn't run around the kitchen anymore. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. Watching her just, the pictures of her standing at your feet while you're making bottle after uh -huh. bottle after bottle. Oh my God, folks, there was, there was bottles and formula everywhere. I don't know how many, 17 crock pots <laughs> heating up. The vets would come, I'd come in every morning. There must have been half a dozen people over here making formula. Of course, you've all heard the famous stories about how the formula was was created, custom made after analyzing it. Um, just, just absolutely amazing. Just over here watching everybody mix this concoction together. Uh, and then, of course, the bottles got bigger and bigger. You know, thinking back to watching Don Strasser trying to get her to take any milk at all from that little teeny tiny bottle and then watching her suck down a two liter <laughs> bottle of milk faster than you could pour it on the floor right <laughs> yeah she would do like two essentially two liter bottles so if you imagine a two liter bottle of pop or soda whatever you want to call it and um she would drink two of those in like three minutes oh my goodness yeah, she would just chug them down yeah yeah it was pretty crazy <laughs> it was definitely a once in a lifetime opportunity but she's she's still cute she's she, she still interacts with people she's still uh you know very um people oriented she you know, supervises we, your dives this, she <laughs> does she absolutely does so of course we, we're not diving with fiona anymore haven't been in years but when we're outside in the morning uh, and you've brought the hippos in and they're enjoying their breakfast and their heated floors or whatever lovely accommodations they're enjoying that morning. Um, we're outside cleaning their pool. Well, the big hippo doors um, have little ventilation windows in the bottom. And for years, Fiona has been sticking her sweet little face out of that window to watch us while we dive. And yes, she will actually sit there on the floor resting her chin in the window and, and watch us clean her it's pool. It's the cutest thing ever. It's it's, it's, <laughs> we might have to petition to get her a new door so that when her face is too big, she can still watch and supervise. Yes, yes, because it's, it's already getting a it's little pretty small. Close. Yeah, yes. it's pretty, pretty yes. close. I, all I can think is that she's thinking, is adult swim over yet? <laughs> yeah. She's like, okay, I'm ready, guys. Oh. Well, Mark, do you have any uh, trivia questions for us? I do today? have some trivia. I'm sad for this Fiona talk to end, though. I had <laughs> you could reminisce for days about just Fiona stories, man. Such a cool experience. I do have some trivia for you guys, though. Pretty short today, just four questions. But being as we have our, our dive safety officer, they're all diving related, diving related trivia. Oh, so, good luck, Jen. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> all right, starting off with number one. Who is seen as the father of modern scuba diving? I'm sure Any Jen guesses? knows. I don't know. We mean Jacques Cousteau? Oh, yeah. Yes. Jacques Cousteau. She's got it. Yeah, Jacques knew Cousteau. knew it, but wouldn't have been able to pull that out. <laughs> <laughs> he invented the modern um, demand regulator. He called it the aqua lung. It has since been called the self-contained underwater breathing apparatus, scuba. Um, you know, he was a jack-of-all-trades, explorer, conservationist, biologist, inventor. This man could do just about everything, but yes. Can you imagine being the first person willing to go down, like, however deep with this thing he just made and hoping you... I hope he did it himself, because I wouldn't trust <laughs> right? it. I wouldn't trust it. <laughs> that would be crazy. Bold strategy. You're one for one. You got it, Jacques Cousteau. All right, number two. How deep was the world's deepest unassisted free dive? So free dive, they have no scuba gear or anything, unassisted, so they don't have any weights. They're just swimming down as deep as they can go. <laughs> I could uh, hardly do the <laughs> I'll say I could do about 10 feet, maybe, <laughs> on a good day. How deep 
was the dive? I want to say over 400 feet. 400 feet. I was gonna say, I've watched this crazy documentary on at least somebody doing this. Um, I can't remember what the world record is, but I'm going to guess 630. 630, 400. Jen's closer. Ah, Jen's closer. Ah. The answer is 335 feet. Ah, just double. So, uh, <laughs> just it. William Truebridge from New Zealand, he mm. dove 335 feet unassisted. The whole dive left lasted about 4 minutes and 14 seconds. I can't even hold my breath for like 60 seconds, so I can't imagine doing it 4 minutes while you're swimming. I'm feeling strenuous. really dumb now yeah. thinking back on my guess. I don't know why I went that big. That's insane. So there... The world's deepest assisted free dive with weights is about 700 feet. Okay, okay. 702 yeah. Maybe that's where feet. I was so, it. Yeah, there's... But still, so the only thing that helped them was weights. Was, yeah, they could t use weights to get down deeper, whereas um, the unassisted dive, it's just you how... Have swim you have to swim yourself down. Yeah. Some of the other ones, they grab a weighted sled and it yes. rockets them down to the bottom, and then they have staged safety divers oh along the way. To go up. Yes, so, that's what I've seen. Okay. Until I researched it, I had no idea that there were so many categories of this free diving. It is, it is insane. It's, I can't imagine going down 20 or 30 feet without a breathing apparatus, no. let alone 300 feet. It's wild. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> wild stuff. All right, moving along. Talked about the deepest diving human. What about the deepest diving mammal? What is the deepest diving mammal, and how deep can it dive? That would be a sperm whale. Oh, I knew it! But I don't know how deep it can dive. It is not the sperm <gasps> whale. I thought it was a oh, sperm I whale. When I, when I started to do my research, I was convinced it was a sperm whale. The sperm whale has been overtaken, <gasps> science has shown. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. The Cuvier's beaked whale. Oh. So for years, the sperm whale was believed to be the deepest diving mammal, it routinely dives to about five to 6,000 feet. The Cuvier's beaked whale, scientists tracked it in 2014, diving to a depth of 9,874 wow. feet. Held its breath for about two hours and 17 oh minutes. Oh my gosh. That's almost two miles. It's mm -hmm. almost two miles underwater. Yes. Wow. It held its breath for how long? Two hours and 17 minutes. That's unfathomable. The ocean just blows my mind. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's one that it's that deep. It's two miles deep. And then there's an animal that can go down there. That can hold what its breath it and get down there. down there. What did it do down there? They think they go down to feed. Is there what best? is it it's eating two miles squid. down? Squid, yes, squid. Why do squid live down there? So, what are they doing? I have so many questions. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Oh, my gosh. That is, I think there's still a lot to be discovered down there that they don't know the answers to yet. Yeah. So. Insane. I'm, I was amazed by that. But, yeah, I thought it was a sperm whale, too. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it wow. was a sperm whale. But... All right, last question. In Big Daddy, a f very famous <laughs> Adam Sandler movie, what was Julian, an Adam Sandler's son, what was his adopted son, I'm sorry, what was his favorite toy? Scuba Steve. Scuba Steve. <laughs> Scuba Steve. It's a classic. What I didn't know, though, is it's actually is based on a real-life toy named Diver Dan. Mm -hmm. Adam Sandler apparently said he had a Diver Dan toy, and that was his inspiration for Scuba Steve. Oh I think we need to start at the zoo gift shop. A Diver Jen <laughs> toy. <laughs> get this made. Diver Jen with Fiona we'll just diving down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll be like the next it. Christmas ornament. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. How'd you even come up? <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> oh goodness. That's okay. all I got today. Okay. That's it. Thank you. Oh That's my gosh. It. Um, 
Okay, Jen, so we talked a lot of, a, about a lot of stories. Were there any that we missed that you really wanted to hit? If not, it's okay. But I just thought I'd give you a chance in case there was something you we were like forgetting. Oh, uh, just just really one thing I, I, I wanted to add. You know, I think a lot of people watched all of this happen on and unfold on social media and, and, and saw you particularly um, and thought, oh my gosh, she has the best job in the world. It must be amazing to be able to interact with this, this amazing baby hippo. But what I want people to really understand is, is the emotional strain that, that you all went through to do this. It, it wasn't, it, it isn't always fun. I mean, in this case, it all worked out and it was wonderful, happy ending. But to, in those first few weeks, when you have to take this baby animal into your arm to give it the warmth and the closeness that a baby mammal needs, and you have to care for it 24-7, knowing that any moment she could take her last breath, but you still have to give it your all. It, you, you are all just amazing. I mean, you came in here and you, you gave everything you had, knowing that you were probably sobbing into your steering wheels on the drive home. Um, if, if, you know, a lot of you out there are probably wondering, you know, wouldn't it be great to be an animal keeper? Or I want to be an animal keeper when I grow up. And you know what? It is a very amazing job. But for every high, you know, there, there's a low. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And these, you know what, folks uh, <laughs> listening out there, these keepers put everything that they have into this job. They sacrifice their bodies, their hearts, and their souls for what they believe in. And it, it, it really makes uh, an incredible uh, a care team of people. And I'm just, I'm very impressed and I'm very honored to work with them every day. Trying to make me cry. Uh, <laughs> Jen getting sentimental on us in here. I wasn't ready for it. Thank you, thank you very much. I, I, I really appreciate that. We appreciate that, that you recognize it. It is hard because we care about them. It's like our own family. So yes, there are many highs and we are so lucky. And, and I am very, very lucky to work so closely with Fiona still to this day. But yeah, those first few months were so up and down and mm -hmm. so scary. And the first few weeks were so, so scary. And then of course we have other animals that, you know, there are really low lows and really high highs. Mm -hmm. so. No, we appreciate mm -hmm. you saying that. That's true. It definitely takes a lot of mental fortitude, a lot of emotional fortitude. And I mean, you kind of lean on each other, though, to get through the lows, you know what I mean? And then obviously the highs when Fiona finally does get out of the woods and you can celebrate and it makes it all worth it in the end. But yeah. I can say I've it's... swam with a hippo. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. Uh, well, thank you for being here. Um, we would like to know what can I do? Uh, well, you know, obviously I'm a diver. I'm going to talk about uh, water conservation, but we've heard a lot about, you know, conserving the use of water. But as a diver, um, I can tell you how easy it is to clean poop out of the water. It's really not that hard. Um, but it's you do it other. Every day? Yeah, that's right. I do it every day. It's really not the most disgusting thing that goes into our water supply. But of course, anything you flush down the toilet, wash down a drain, send down the sewer, all goes back to the water treatment plant to be removed. And again, the organic stuff that we personally add isn't the stuff that's difficult to clean out of the water. It's the chemicals. It's the trash that we're putting in the water. We need to, to think about what it is that we're adding to the water and what needs to be cleaned out of it later. Any, any chemicals that you pour down the drain, um, that, that, that water is going to be recycled and cleaned into the water that comes right back out of your faucet. Now, here in the Ohio River Valley, we don't really 
think about water conservation as much because we're up to our eyeballs in it. Mm -hmm. We have a high water table, we have the Great Lakes, we have the Ohio River. We're not short on water here, but that's not the case in uh, much of the world. Uh, you know, a, a supply of uh, drinking water, fresh water. Um, so we also need to be mindful of what what we what we put into the water as far as our our lakes and and stream or excuse me our streams and rivers because whatever goes into the Ohio River here winds up in the ocean. Um, so things like plastics, plastic bags um, that can very easily blow around and uh, you know land in the river and drift out into the ocean. Plastic bags, that thin plastic, fishing line, these types of things are some of the worst. Uh, litter that winds up in the oceans, whether animals ingest it and choke on it or it becomes entanglement issues. Um, but please, everyone, um, uh, remember, just think twice about what it is that you pour down the drain and, uh, and make sure um, you watch, uh, watch those plastics and, and keep them out of our waters. I love it. Yeah, all of our waterways, like you said, everything's connected. The whole water cycle, it's all connected. The, the rivers, the streams, it's all leading out to the oceans. Just because you see a plastic bag going to the Ohio River, I could end up in the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic Ocean, and it's a very important issue that we need to address right now. So, yeah. so I love if, it. If you think that one, if one plastic bag can kill a sea turtle, then taking one plastic bag out of the ocean can save a sea turtle. That's a so, good way to think of that. Please, please use those reusable bags and 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 watch the watch that plastic. Love it. Yes, me too. Thank you so much, Jen. That was great. Yes. Love all the Fiona reminiscing. And <laughs> oh, it's been a good yeah. time. I've yeah, enjoyed it. It's such it, a unique, sure. cool perspective on the whole thing. It's so fascinating to hear your side of it because it's a very different side than, I think, the side that I'm used to talking to Jenna, you know, the keeper side of it, but the dive office side. You know, <laughs> you're, you're in Fiona's room. Right. As she was growing up all I mean, day. you probably heard more of that conversations than I did because you heard them all. But, you know, if I wasn't there, you were in, you were in there. So, yeah, you definitely get to hear all, and see all sorts of things and then help us out so much, of course. And I just remembered something. Um, so you don't get to go in with the hippos, but you do get to go in with the penguins. Like I mentioned, there's a lot of poop. But I wanted, I wanted you to tell us about Kyle just real quick oh before my we go. Just tell us about Kyle. Yes, Kyle is an Australian wood duck. And he lives in the Little Blue Penguin exhibit down in Rue Valley. And there are three species of duck that live down there, and they all, uh, they're all they all in pairs, except for poor Kyle. Kyle lost his mate, Karen, last winter. She passed away. Yes, I, <laughs> no, Kyle and Karen. I'm laughing at the name, not yes. the situation. Well, they had a lot of sass, these two ducks. They were very <laughs> sassy. They had more sass than any two ducks should ever have. So that's how they got their names, Kyle and Karen. Um, and... Kyle, I don't know if it's because he's without a mate, but he seems to really respond to humans. And he's very responsive with the guests. I mean, he very often will be swimming right back, you know, back and forth, right up against the glass, uh, you know, with the guests. They, they clearly enjoy seeing, everybody loves ducks. It's like, a, it's universal. <laughs> so you either like ducks or you're wrong. I'm just, yeah. just, anyway. Agreed. But they just, Agreed. they really enjoy how much he reacts to them and... So when I go out there and we're out there cleaning, of course, we're out there much longer than the keepers are. The keepers have, oh my gosh, the birds all over this zoo. Those people are all over the place taking care of birds everywhere. So when they come out there, they, they feed, they clean, they do what they need to do, and they move on. But if, as divers, we're out there for over an hour at a time um, and interacting with them. And Kyle just, he's so cute. He's unlike other ducks. Um, most ducks, when they walk, they waddle. 
He doesn't. He glides so smoothly. <laughs> he has this cute little head motion that he does as he walks. He just cuts, You only have to watch Kyle for two minutes to understand why you will fall Jenny. in love with him. <laughs> he's completely, he's so, he's so amazing, and he's very reactive. And when I talk to him on exhibit and I call him Kyle, the guests get a huge kick out of it. And I'll even hear them talk to each other like, hey, that's Kyle. That's it's, it's so cute. And now he's really reactive to us. When we come out onto it, just like we did this morning, as soon as we walk out onto exhibit, the first thing I say is, Kyle! And he has the cutest little call. Oh my gosh, it's precious. Me? <laughs> it's so cute and he swims over to us and he hangs out he was hanging out right next to my feet he's so precious i just i, I know it's the little blue penguin exhibit and they're amazing and i'm sorry bird keepers for not talking more about the little blue penguins because they're amazing you guys do incredible work with no, them no, but no. kyle, kyle, needs, love. kyle needs some love so folks if you're uh if you come down to rue valley and you check out the little blue penguin exhibit please say hi to Kyle. But I'm glad that he kind of got to fill your niche that was missing after yes. Fiona. You know? yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, he did. I do love Kyle so very much. <laughs> to hang out with him. Okay, well, thank That's you amazing. so much, Jen. We will probably have you back sometime. Wonderful. Other yes. stories. Can't wait yeah. to share more stories. <laughs> thank you for to. having we me. Need a, we need another Fiona therapy session. Okay. Just talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> we can hear about all your other areas, too. <laughs> oh, okay, man. well, thank you so much. And uh, we can't wait to... Do it again. Do it again. Sure. Thanks for listening, guys. Right. <laughs> Till next time. <laughs>